May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. If you're new to Huguenot Road or haven't been here in a little while, you just have a reminder that 12-2 Student Ministries is the name of our youth group here at church. 12-2 Student Ministries. 12-2 points to Romans 12-2 in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Last fall, as we were going through our interim season in our student ministry, our 12-2 leadership invited several adults from our church to speak and share testimonies at the Sunday night youth group meetings. They call it large group. Vicki Lloyd, the team leader of our youth ministry, asked if I would be willing to come, and I was honored that I got asked. Very, very blessed that our students would want their pastor to come and hang out with them a little bit and share with them. I said, absolutely. Well, then she said what she wanted me to do. The deal was not for me to share my testimony or my call, but rather I would answer a series of theological questions that our students anonymously submitted in advance. They were free to ask anything they wanted to and would not be singled out or embarrassed, hence the anonymity of all the questions. Here are just a few of the ones on the list. How do you know God exists? Is, if God is supposed to be a God of love, why do so many laws in the Bible revolve around treating people differently for being who they are? A third among the series. Does God create negative experiences in our lives to help improve us? And some of the other questions dealt with the issue of why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people and so forth. We were supposed to meet on Sunday evening, December the 9th, but we ended up having to cancel worship and all of our Sunday evening activities because of the snow that happened. Honestly, I breathed a sigh of relief. I didn't have to go and try to answer all of those challenging questions from the youth. Pastor Bob got a pass. Well, if you know Vicki Lloyd, it wasn't long before she reached back out. Bob, we would like to reschedule you to, to, to come on January 6th. Are you available? What do you tell Vicki Lloyd? Right? You say, yes, I'm available. And although Aaron was going to be here, she said that Aaron really wanted to continue with what was planned in January so that he could get a feel for the rhythm of the student ministry as he started his position on January the 1st. But I didn't let you off easy, Aaron. I touched base with Aaron over the Christmas break, and I asked him if he would join me in helping me to facilitate the questions. I would still respond to them, but I asked him to serve as the MC, 
And I shared with him what uh, Vicki had provided with the list of questions and so forth. And Aaron went a step further. He organized them into themes, did some research, created a Google document so that we could collaborate on it together. Last Sunday night, he and I sat with our youth, and he facilitated asking the questions. We talked about several important passages of Scripture that would relate to our theme for the evening. I was very thankful to be there. It was a very meaningful night. I'm so proud of our students and their willingness to put it out there, to lay it out on the table. You all know this, but let me echo that we have some incredible youth at this church. You should be very proud, especially those of you who are parents and grandparents, and those of you who have lived into them over the years, of the level of maturity and compassion for others that they have, and their deep understanding of things of God. It was my pleasure to work with Aaron and our adult volunteers that evening, and I would gladly do so if called upon again. But there was one question that our youth submitted that troubled me and gnawed at me, and still does, in fact. It's this question. Why isn't God working to make more people believe in Him? Why isn't God working to make more people believe in Him? I thought about this question a whole lot. The easy answer would be to say that God is really not actively involved in the world, or that God is apathetic and doesn't really care what happens to us, and that we can blame God for things that don't go our way, and that we can blame God as the one who is responsible when the church doesn't grow spiritually or numerically like we hope it would. But the answer that kept coming back to me as I studied it and pondered it was this. God is working to make more people believe in Him. God is working to make more people believe in Him or to help more people to believe in Him. He's chosen us. God has chosen us, the church, as imperfect and broken as we are to share the message of hope, peace, and reconciliation with the world that is around us. You and I, we are the ones who have this responsibility. We are the ones who have the wonderful opportunity to imitate Jesus and help others to see Jesus in us. But we also cause people to avoid the church altogether. By saying we, I mean we the church, we the corporate church, the church universal, the church all over. We also cause people to avoid the church altogether. It's on us, I told the youth. It's on us. We are the ones God called to reach others. It's on us. And I quoted a book to our youth written by a pastor named Dan Campbell. And the book is called, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. In it, he addresses the wide gap between what people think of Jesus and what they think of the church. And he talks about the fact that the longer people are in the church, the fewer non-Christian friends they have. And over time, we can get into a closed circle or the Christian bubble and forget about the people who don't know Jesus or the people that we used to hang out with 
before we got so involved in our church. And as we were talking about this, Aaron mentioned a quote from Gandhi, and that quote is also in Dan Kimball's book, and it really hits home. The quote is this, Gandhi says, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And this should be unsettling to you as it is to me. And the point is that we have the responsibility of helping others believe in God. Ultimately, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, but God uses us. God has chosen us, broken and imperfect people, to share His good news, to be His hands and feet and heart and voice. We are the ones God has chosen to plant seeds that will bring a harvest of righteousness with lives changed and transformed. At the end of the day, God really doesn't need us to do God's work. God can reach people without us. You know that. But God, in His grace, chose us as the church as the way God would seek to reconcile a broken world unto God's self. And when we don't follow through with our part, it's easy for us to pin the blame on God. He doesn't care or is apathetic or is not involved in the world. But scriptures teach us that God is always at work. God was at work yesterday. God, was, God is at work around us today, and God will be at work tomorrow. God is unchanging the same yesterday, today, and forever. God wants us to join Him in what He's doing in Chesterfield County, in the RVA, around the Commonwealth of Virginia, throughout our country and to the ends of the earth. And if God has called us to help others to believe that God exists as Thomas Akempis writes, we are to live lives that should shine in all virtue and be inwardly as they are outwardly. Thomas Akempis, the author of the quote I just read, was a German-born monk and lived and served until his death in 1471. He's most well-known for his book entitled The Imitation of Christ, or Imitatio Christi in the Latin. Serving among the brethren of the common life, he became the prior's assistant, charged with instructing novices in the spiritual life. And in that capacity, he wrote four little booklets between 1420 and his death, I'm sorry, and in 1427. He died in 1471. They were collected and named after the title of the first booklet, The Imitation of Christ. And if you read through his book, clearly he shows us a lot of ways that we are to imitate Christ. We find the same teaching when Paul the Apostle writes to the Ephesians, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Or in Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Or Romans 13.14, your attitude should be the same, I'm sorry, rather close yourse- clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. And familiar verses in Galatians 3.27 and 28, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. With this in mind, we look at Luke's record of the baptism of Jesus 
and we will see some helpful insights as we seek to imitate this Jesus, especially looking at verses 21 and 22. Listen to God's Word one more time. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus set an example and submitted to baptism. He set an example as he prayed during his baptism and in so many other places in scripture he is recorded as taking time to pray. And he set an example as he would be obedient to God as God's son, the Messiah who would suffer on our behalf. And the voice of God, of God recalled Psalm 2, 7 and Isaiah 42, 1, which culminate as Jesus was empowered for sovereignty and service. And Luke records a, a very interesting picture that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form. If you read it too quick, you'll miss it. That the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. There was a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. You could see it. Matthew's Gospel reports that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and fell on Jesus. Mark's Gospel records that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. But Luke, Luke goes a step further and writes that the Holy Spirit came in bodily form like a dove. And we don't know all of what the dove means, this figure of a dove, but we can say for sure that this was clearly God bringing an anointing upon Jesus as the beginning or the inauguration of his public ministry, that God had come in the flesh and would dwell among God's people as a suffering servant, Messiah King. And I want to suggest that this physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit meant that Jesus was dressed for the occasion. This same Holy Spirit that fell upon Jesus is the anointing that you and I have for our public ministry. When we receive Jesus as Savior Lord, we receive the Holy Spirit. We are empowered. We are dressed for the occasion of ministry. If you're into literature or studied literature back in school, you'll know that scholars often use periodization to help their students understand the developmental stages in history. By looking at what people wore, one can reflect on a certain stage of literature or period in history. I'd like for us to take this concept and use it as we seek to dress for discipleship or consider the developmental stages or phases of how the Spirit leads us to be the hands and feet and ears and voice of Jesus today. I want to talk about the tweed jacket phase. If you've ever heard Reverend Dr. Barbara Brown Taylor preach, she's a scholar and professor and preacher and a writer, and you'll often see her, the picture doesn't show it really well, uh, but you'll often see her in a tweed suit. Or if you've read any C.S. Lewis, and you'll see him 
photographed in his tweed jacket, often, often writing or reading as you see him there in the, in the slide. I want to talk to, about this tweed jacket phase of discipleship. It's when we learn the basics of Christianity, grounded in the story of the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We learn how he poured out the Spirit on the believers in the early times who became the first church and empowered them to go into all the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We learn the basics of church history and Baptist distinctives like church freedom, soul freedom, Bible freedom, and religious freedom. And we learn some basic doctrine about what it means to be right with God, justified, to be forgiven and to forgive others, to be made holy, sanctified, and to love God with all our heart and all our soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the basics of Christianity. This is what we learn when we're putting on the tweed jacket and going about our ways as people of faith. But we are not to stay in the tweed coat. Over time, the suit can get restrictive. Or if you're like me, the button might get a little too snug. When I am not active in my faith, working out my faith, I might gain a little bit around the waistline and my jacket becomes tight, my neckline becomes a little bigger, my collar is too tight, my tie is uncomfortable. So I believe we're not supposed to stay uh, there in just loving doctrine and learning about those principles of foundations of our faith, but rather we need to work out our faith. We need to exercise our faith. This is the workout phase of our faith. Perhaps we might say we need to put on a sweatsuit or maybe a uniform. No bias there with Nick Foles. Go Eagles. Why Eagles fly. We put on our workout clothes. We put on our uniform. We are ready to discover new ways to be the presence of Jesus in our circles of influence as we work out our faith, as we get involved in serving in the church, participating in its mission. Matthew already shared with you the different ways we've given. And this church, very giving church, gives financially, gives of its time, its talents, its energies, and people feel the ripple effect of that all the way around the world to places like China, Indonesia, and others. We volunteer in the community. We give generously. Our staff is inviting you to join us on Martin Luther King Day for our MLK Day of Service at Reams Road Elementary School. You heard about that already, or you will hear about it in the announcement time. These are ways that we exercise our faith. Or as Paul writes, we work out our salvation. We train ourselves in godliness. We wear clothes that work out, not merely clothes that work. We seek to discover new ways to be the presence of Jesus. And there's all kinds of ways that we build muscle memory in ourselves and as we train others to follow Jesus, to imitate Him. But there is more to the Christian life than the suit of doctrine. There is more to the Christian life than wearing exercise clothes or an athletic uniform or a pair of running shoes. I believe there's also, third, the wetsuit phase. I'd like to call this wearing the wetsuit of the Christian faith, being immersed in our faith. Like Jesus, we are immersed in our baptism. Like Jesus, we are called and commissioned and anointed to go and serve as ministers of the gospel, every one of us. 
we are immersed into the greater family of God and immersed into the life of the local church and immersed into the world around us. It might be people like us as we seek to build up one another, or it might be in a totally unfamiliar world filled with challenges and change, perhaps with people filled perhaps filled with people who are cynical about the church, think the church is irrelevant, that Christians are backward, judgmental, and hypocritical. And we have to overcome all of that. But if our wetsuit was preceded by flexible workout clothes that were used, and our workout clothes preceded by a good-fitting tweed jacket or suit, then I believe we will be able to have confidence in our faith, a faith that is flexible, protective, and full of grace and love. May we, HRBC, immerse ourselves in the teachings of Christ this year. It's a new year. It's a great time to start reading through your Bible. Some of you are reading through your Bible already and you've talked about it. Others have done it in the past. As we stand on the threshold of this new year, may we immerse ourselves in the teachings of Jesus through prayer, through Bible reading, and regular worship. May we immerse ourselves in some of the other spiritual disciplines like meditation, silence, solitude, and service. May we immerse ourselves in humility. May we immerse ourselves in community. May we immerse ourselves in the regular places we go as we imitate Jesus there. May we immerse ourselves in the imitatio Christi, in the imitation of Christ, Christ, so that others might come to love both Jesus and his church. It pains me to a great deal to know that there are people who think the church doesn't care about them, who thinks that the church is irrelevant because Christians are often judgmental, hypocritical, and don't live out their faith. And I want to be a part of that change. And I know you do too. We will not be satisfied to leave others with that kind of impression of the church. As we seek to imitate Jesus. Would you join me as we pray? And I'd like to offer a prayer that I discovered from an ancient writer. Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come like holy fire and burn within us. Come like holy wind and cleanse us. Come like holy light and lead us. Come as holy truth and teach us. Come as holy love and enfold us. Come as holy power and enable us. Come as abundant life and fill us. Convert us. Consecrate us until we are wholly thine. Come. Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.